For those who aren't here, just so it's not a distraction during the sermon, I'm originally from Yorkshire, so it's a Yorkshire accent. Because some people come up afterwards, I was trying to think all through that sermon, what's that accent? So I'll mention that to, to start with, take away that drama. Now, can you hear me okay? I may grab hold of this, I may not. I may sit down, stand up, walk around, I'll see how we go. So what is a spiritual Christian? How do you recognize a spiritual Christian? Is it because they speak in tongues? Is it their evangelism work? Is it they're super wealthy? Is it they're healing people? Are they running a mega church? Maybe they have a lot of, a lot of Bible understanding. Maybe they act nice and pious and humble. Could be they're always smiling and positive and life's just one big blessing every moment. Just what do we need to look for to recognize a spiritual Christian? What is a spiritual Christian? So to help answer that to start with, I'm firstly going to ask the question, what does it take to become a Christian? And the question is, what is a Christian? Well, we know it's not good works and knowledge and family connections, etc., etc., traditions. To become a Christian, simply stated, is a person, is a Christian, because of the right relationship to Jesus Christ. That's what makes someone a Christian. So what makes a spiritual Christian? Well, if a person is a Christian because of the right relationship to Jesus Christ, that would suggest that a spiritual Christian is a spiritual Christian because of the right relationship to the Holy Spirit. And for each believer, that right relationship will manifest itself in various ways, in and through the believer, through various combinations of the fruits of the gifts, fruits and gifts of this Holy Spirit, combined with the individual's personal and corporate call of God on their lives. So we're not just all cutty-cutter people in the Spirit. The Lord is going to be using us in various wonderful ways. So what is the right relationship with the Holy Spirit? We're going to explore, and I've been asked to speak tonight, to, from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to add a few verses from chapter 3 to, as well. So I'm just going to go methodically through it and pull out a few points and then we'll uh, discuss that a bit further towards the end. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. So Paul the Apostle writes, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. So he comes to talk about the Lord with these people, but he didn't come with eloquence. When Paul came to the Corinthians, he did not do so using the art of language or fluency and aptness to bring a testimony about God. He came not with human wisdom and eloquence. Paul took a different approach. Verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul came with a straightforward message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I think that's a straightforward message that needs to be used today, these days. It's never gone out of style as a message from God's people. And Paul confirmed that in 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. 
That's great, isn't it? You're coming to speak to a people, probably a mix of Jews and Gentiles, and you're going to come with a message that's going to be a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. You sort of think, whoa, hold on a minute. You're not giving yourself a good chance there, are you? But he knew what he was doing. And what was his attitude when he came with this message? He said, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. So this is Paul, the great apostle of God, declaring God's message with weakness, with fear, and with trembling. And if I got up tonight and I was in fear and trembling, which I am on the inside a bit, but you don't know that, and I was fear and trembling, you might think, oh, this, this is not a strong Christian, he's just a feeble sort of little guy, you know. But Paul came with weakness, fear and trembling. And some can interpret that as a lack of faith or a fear of people. But Paul knew where the power came from for his preaching and his teaching. In verses 4 and 5, Paul reiterates why he did not use persuasive words and goes somewhere to helping us to understand why he came in fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So Paul wanted his message and his preaching to be a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That is the Holy Spirit. It was not about Paul and his ego. It was not about Paul showing how wonderful he was with words. It was not about Paul showing he was fearless. It was, however, all about Paul being a vessel for the Holy Spirit to work through. And that people's faith might stand on the power of God, not just on the power of Paul. Paul says he did not bring a message based on human wisdom, but he did bring a wise message. In verses 6, 7 and 8 we read, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul declared a message of wisdom not human wisdom, but God's wisdom. It's a wisdom not everyone can understand. In fact, other parts of Scripture just comes to mind now, talk about the wisdom of God is foolishness to, to many people. The rulers of this age do not understand it, or did not understand it. The Roman governors, the rulers of the Jewish church, the Jewish national leaders, kings, maybe even Satan, if the rulers of this world and age, had they known this truth and this heavenly wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they couldn't receive that truth. None of them understood it. And there's a very clear reason for that. Verses 9 and 10. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things, God which, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. These things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things 
of God. There were things that no eye has seen. There were things that no ear has heard. There were things that no mind has conceived. And God has these things available to those that love him. And God reveals them to those that love him, revealed by his spirit. He will even reveal deep things of himself to those that love him. Paul understood a very important spiritual principle. God reveals things by the Spirit. Verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. That's why things are revealed by the Spirit. You know, we're made of a body, soul, and spirit. A person, as a person, we, we know our own thoughts. And I'm, very, I'm sure at times we're glad someone else doesn't know our, <laughs> what's in there. So it follows that only the Spirit of God knows the things of God. And this is where it gets really exciting for God's people, for us. Verse 12 and 13. We have received, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. We have received the Spirit of God so that we may understand the things of God. That's just awesome. We can't understand the things of God unless the Spirit of God is helping and revealing. You know, there's a lot of intellectual minds around the world. Actually, I listened to a guy the other day, it was quite good, I thought, talking about you know, people and their intellect. And he said, you know, in the 1960s, the, the, this guy's an atheist, in the 1960s they discovered that uh, the, 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 creation, the world, everything had a beginning. And he said, that was the 1960s that scientists came out and said that. Said the Bible has been saying it, first, first verse of the Bible, in the beginning. So, you know, the intellectual minds are a dangerous thing in some ways with spiritual truth. Sadly, you've only got to look within Christianity these days of people who interpret the Bible based on in intellectual mind and they actually take what we would call sin in the Bible as being, well, that's acceptable now because it's a, a new age of interpretation. That's because it's this, their intellect, not the Spirit of God revealing. We have received the Spirit of God to understand the things of God. So this is God's plan for his people. So we need to be dependent on God. And if we could just work it all out ourselves, and if we can just read the Bible, and, oh, it's easy, I can just read that, it's just a normal book, then we would. But we need God. We cannot receive it and understand it without the Holy Spirit revealing it. We have to receive by the Holy Spirit so we can have the Spirit-taught words. For Paul the Apostle, the principle is clear. Paul speaks what he has been taught by the Spirit. He does not use human wisdom to know what to teach. Paul has been taught by the Spirit. He explains spiritual realities with spiritual words, and I think that's brilliant. It means we do not have to rely on our own intelligence, or in my case, the lack of it. David, I was going to say, David, you mentioned that. 
God himself, through the Holy Spirit, can provide our words and understanding. And this can be in any situation. So it, it, it can be wherever we are. That's the beauty. It's not just when we're in church. We can be talking to someone on the street and just have a chat with them. We can be praying and commit, Lord, give me, Lord, what do you want to say to this person? Lord, what do you, is it, do you want to say something to this person? And the Holy Spirit might bring a scripture to mind. So it can be in various situations where we can hand over to the Lord and his spirit can lead us. This is why Jesus could say, whenever you are arrested, hope you're looking forward to that one day, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Is that too easy or what? <laughs> you know? Forget the $80,000 for the uh, high court, whatever. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need. This is why at times non-Christians cannot understand what Christians are saying. Verse 14. The person without the Spirit. Just hold on to that little thought as well. I'll come back to that later on. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Only through the Spirit. When our words are spiritual, the natural mind cannot understand them. And if they do begin to understand, then the Holy Spirit is helping them. Without the Spirit, a person cannot accept the things the Spirit is revealing. I consider this especially true for those who willfully reject God and his message of salvation. They're choosing not to even try to listen to the word of God and they're closing themselves up to the Holy Spirit maybe to work on them. So it's also important implications for evangelism and for witnessing that if people without the Spirit of God dwelling in them cannot understand and receive the things of God and the message of salvation is the things of God then we need to pray that God will bring light to them by the Spirit. They're not indwelt by the Spirit like we are as Christians. They're not sealed by the Spirit like we are as Christians. But they need the Spirit of God to shine some light, to give them some sense of light to be able to see what is being shown to them. And it works because the lost do get found. And those in darkness do find light. And we all know that it's not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. Verse 15 and 16. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to mere, merely human judgments. Or, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The person with the Spirit walks with God based on divine revelation. They live a godly life. They can make judgments about all things. Human judgments against their sound, human judgments against their sound biblical teaching and kingdom lifestyle mean little. So if someone comes to judge them because they believe the Bible, it means little because they know that the person without the spirit cannot understand the spiritual and biblical truths that they're declaring. They haven't got the spiritual mind. So when we know that we've heard from God, then someone else's judgment or condemnation of us means very little because we know we've heard from God. 
And because they have the spiritual mind, or we can have a spiritual mind, we have the mind of Christ. Which is amazing. People can think that when we walk in godly ways, that we're walking ungodly or being manipulated. One example I thought of was, was tithing. I don't know many, how many times over the years I hear people say, oh, the church, just want your money. You're good, they're off for your money. Just want your money. It's all about, always on about money. How many times that's come up? And uh, we've even had family members, we've had uh, some money divided within the family and said, well, you're going to get a bit of money, but they've held back from us because they've said, oh, you just give it to the church. You know, so, yeah. So, uh, so it's something like tithing. It's just, oh, we tithe people without the spirit. Don't get that. It's like you're wasting your money, you're throwing money away. They don't understand. But with the spirit, we understand what tithing is about. That's like an example of how the non-spiritual person can't see it. So that's the end of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But I just want to touch on the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Some very important, something very important about our spiritual walk comes from this. So I'm going to read um, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? I found this part in preparing this week, the, probably the part I spent more time on prayer on and wrestling with the Lord on how to say it and what to say. So I just, and I've ended up just believing, well, Lord, I could go this way, that way, this way, that way. Lord, um, put what I believe you say and people's hearts will receive what you are saying, Lord. And if I'm saying anything wrong, not that I think there is anything wrong, but um, well, you'll tell me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Can you just put that stone down, please, Jeremy? <laughs> Paul could not speak to the Corinthians as people who live by the Spirit. I'll tell you, my main part, part with this, I'm going to talk about the flesh. I know that some Christians could feel you're laying a trip on them, or a guilt trip or something. That's why, part of my concern. So I don't want you to get the sense of what I'm saying is the Lord's talking about freedom in Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. Paul could not speak to the Corinthians as people who live by the Spirit because they were still worldly. They were still babes in Christ. So they couldn't receive Things. Some translations speak of carnality, speaking of the flesh. And we know in Scripture it talks about being worldly, it talks about being carnal, it talks about the flesh and, and the world that's not the way God wants to live, it's a worldly way of living. Speaking broadly, the, the world speaks of the fallen world and carnality, the flesh, speaks of, of the sinful element in a person's nature. The, the fallen nature that's inherited from Adam this, and the nature that Jesus died put to death. But we do know that it's still around and we have to wrestle with it. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit who comes to be by regeneration when we believe the Gospel. Generally being called being born again. So it's fascinating because this means, if you think about it, we talk about the man without the Spirit, we're talking here about, uh, we're touching on spiritual Christians and we're talking about babes in Christ. So you could actually, from my, what I see, you can, you can split the world into three groups. Minimum three groups. You've got the people without the Spirit. So that's one group. Then you've got the people who have the Spirit of God, 
but walk in the flesh and a worldly lifestyle. But they're Christians. And then you've got those who are the Spirit of God and live by the Spirit. Now, forgetting about those who don't have the Spirit, for now, and I raised the question earlier, what is a spiritual Christian? And I said a Christian is spiritual because of a right relationship to the Holy Spirit. So the people without the Spirit, as I said, cast those to one side for now. Two groups left. Both groups have the Holy Spirit. Both groups are Christians. Both groups Jesus died for. Both groups are born again, received the Holy Spirit. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. One group have the Spirit, but walk controlled by their old nature. They walk in worldly ways and in the flesh. And one group lived by the Spirit, actively seeking to walk controlled by the Spirit. So what's happening here? We're all Christians, all born again, all received the Spirit, but some controlled by the flesh, some led by the Spirit. And what Paul is really pointing out is that for some Christians, they're still babies. They're babes in Christ, and they can't receive the meat of the Word because they're babes in Christ. And it's almost like, I'm guessing from what he's saying, it's almost like they're not growing beyond that. And part of that is because, because they're giving in to the flesh as opposed to submitting to the Spirit. A life displaying the fruits of the Spirit is what God wants, not a life with the fruits of the flesh. Galatians 5, 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, that's the fruits of the Spirit. So we, we can recognize, when we look at our own lives, if we've got fruits of the Spirit in there. And we can recognize that we're trying to be pious or self-righteous, because the Holy Spirit will convict us of that. We know if it's the fruit of the Spirit, or if it's us trying to you know, pretend we're something that we're not. Now, contrast these fruits to the acts of the flesh in Galatians 5, 20, 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. That's a quite, quite an opposite lifestyle and the fruits of the Spirit. Now, some of these things, they're almost extreme examples, but the flesh and the Spirit wrestle at times, and we have to say yes to the God's way and no to the flesh's way. And sometimes it's a decision we have to make. And it, the flesh can be quite crafty and quite deceiving if we don't take things to the Word of God and understand what God means by things. An example from my life, uh, music. Music was something the Lord had to get rid of in my life. I shouldn't, shouldn't say get rid of, but stop me listening to certain music where I was at that time. And I was listening to, you know, punk. And in fact, one song, the first line was, I am an antichrist. I mean, that was the first line of the song. I mean, not edifying for a Christian. You know, so the Lord had to deal with music in my life, and I had to let go. I actually threw away all my non-Christian music at this, this particular point in my life. I threw it all away. A couple of years later, I did a um, the Teen Challenge training course, 1983. It's a scary date now. <laughs> I took a year off work and did the training course, and there was a lovely girl on there, 
uh, Bronwyn, and she, uh, we'd met, she was worked at the corner shop and both ended up together. Anyway, another story. But she's singing this song. I won't, I won't tell you what the song is, but she's singing this song. I said, what are you singing that for? She said, oh, it's a lovely song. It's nice. I said, well, it's all right if you want to sing about fornication. And she, she said, yep. Uh, oh. oh, that's right, isn't it? Oh, oh. So, and I'm thinking, that's how the flesh can be very carefully. We can think it's a nice song. We can think something's nice. It's, it's, but it's feeding the flesh. If I only sang song, listen to songs that's about the Antichrist, singing about glorifying that, or someone, if I'm singing songs about fornication and singing songs, and I hate to think what's in a lot of the music these days. I went to the RSL a few weeks back, had a game of snooker, and I walked out of the snooker room, and this song's on, it's some sort of rap thing, and it's swear word, swear word, swear word, swear word. So I went to the counter, I said, do kids go down there? I said, yeah, I said, because I thought if I go in and say, stop that swearing, they'll think, oh, you know, who's this guy? You know? Do kids go in that room? I said, yeah, I said, go and listen to that. It's all F, 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 F all the way through it. Anyway, I don't know what they did about it, I've not heard it since, but, but that's it. It becomes acceptable. And as Christians, we can accept things that God doesn't want. The flesh is very crafty, very sneaky. So the flesh life and the godly life, they're quite opposite. So bearing fruit as the children of God glorifies God. We're told in John 15, 8, This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So bearing fruit glorifies God, and bearing fruit shows us, shows people and lets us know that we are his disciples, the disciples of Jesus. So in a practical sense, what are we to do? And this is a massive subject, but I'm going to touch on it. Galatians 5.16 So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The way to overcome the flesh, and the way to live in God's world, and not the world's world, is to walk in the Spirit. But how do we walk in the Spirit? Well, it's letting us know that we need to yield our lives to God. We need to yield the pathways of our life, what we think, what we do, yield everything to the Lord. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I mean, I love worship times. I love worshipping the Lord, singing. But our true and proper worship is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Romans 6.13 Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Offer every part as an instrument of righteousness. So we're asked not to offer ourselves willingly to sin, but to yield and to offer ourselves to God. And to me that speaks each day of laying our life before him, as a living sacrifice. Offer our heart to God each day. Surrender our life 
to be what he might want it to be this day. And this may even be moment by moment, not just a once a day thing, moment by moment as we journey with God through the day. And we can be confident when we do this. Philippians 1.6 being, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us salvation. He has begun the good work in us. And he will carry it through to completion. We heard from the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. I'll read them again. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things which God has prepared for those who love him, these things are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The things that the eye has not seen, the things that the ear has not heard, the things that the human mind cannot con conceive, these are what? We're told that they are what? Unseen things. They're unseen. But what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1. Faith is a belief in things unseen. That's the King James Version. Hebrews 1 NIV Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. God has unseen things for us and they will be revealed by the Spirit. But when the Spirit starts revealing things we need to exercise faith and belief in those things that are unseen. And we don't know what God might say to us. I was in a church one night, I got invited to speak to a church. And I'm sitting there and this lady came up with something about frogs jumping on trees and flowers and she came up with this thing. And as soon as she finished, I knew, what she, I knew the spiritual, I knew what God was saying to the people through this imagery. And I, and I, and I whoa, and I'd never experienced this before. I had a choice then. Do I say, oh, it's embarrassing, I won't say anything. Do I, why have you shown it me, Lord? Do I speak it out? Do I not? So then I had to put faith that, well, Lord, I believe you've shown me that. So I had to take a step of faith to then speak that out to the congregation. So I did. And afterwards, people were coming up saying, that was great. Oh, she always says things. We never know what she's talking about. But now, <laughs> but now that was wonderful. And, and that, you know, so... so so there has to be a step of faith. Somebody else said, will you, will you pray? I, I turned up to preach and they said, will you pray for people after the service? And I said, oh, I've not done this before. I said, oh, okay, that'd be fine. And uh, so I said, oh, Chris, Chris, you can help me as well. Not now, <laughs> back then. And um, so we, we walked out. Just the, the Holy Spirit is unexpected sometimes the way it works. We walked out and uh, there's a half dozen people there. We came to the first person and I thought, I won't actually touch them, I just put my hand over, you know, like this. And we just went, just started praying, and boof! They fell on the floor. And they just went, my expression, went down like a sack of potatoes. It just poof! And Chris and I sort of looked at each other and thought, we nearly started laughing, because we'd not experienced it. We weren't expecting it. We didn't go there for that. And, and I was only doing it because this guy had asked me to. So then uh, we looked at each other and thought, oh, uh, let's leave them there, we'll go to the next one. So, <laughs> What'd you do? So I started, boof, 
goes down like a sack of potatoes again. So, um, and the minister's running around, don't worry, don't worry. The people fell down, Paul fell down when he, on the Damascus Road. But, so the minister's trying to settle people down. And we're, like, we're not doing anything. We're just praying. So the thing is, he, he asked me to pray for people. I had to take a step of faith that, okay, I didn't feel comfortable. It was a strange place, but I'll do that. And the Holy Spirit did something. So sometimes it's a step of faith. You might be asked to do something in church and think, no, I'm not doing that. It's not me. I don't know. But then you might have to search your heart and say, well, Lord, Lord, are you saying this to me? Are you wanting me to step out? And who knows what the Lord might do? So faith is a belief in things unseen, and the Lord has got unseen things to reveal to us. So walking in the Spirit calls us to live and walk by faith, to believe in the unseen things of God. So how do we get faith? Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of God. The Word of God plays an important role in walking, by, walking in the Spirit, because the Word of God will show us where we need to put our faith, and the things we have to put our faith in. And often, as we know, we read the Word of God, and the Lord will reveal something to us. We'll get an understanding. Remember one night, again, just, just, I'm just using these not to big note myself, but because of the way the Lord's done things, I came home from work once, I rushed in, I got Bible study that night, I basically went, I said, Lord, give me something for Bible study tonight. Blah, 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 blah. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> went off to Bible study. Okay, went, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I've got my Bible ready. Like, yes, come on. Nothing, nothing. All through the Bible study, nothing. And you go, Lord, you gave me that. I thought you gave me that. I asked you to give me. And then, I stands up, and I walks over, uh, Charles and Virginia it was, and they're talking to each other. And Charles was the pastor and theological student and everything. And, and they're talking. And then she's questioning something he said. And she, he's questioning back. And they have this little friendly argument that she's saying this scripture's right. And he's saying this scripture's right. And you wouldn't believe it. The one I'd read went straight down the middle and shut them both up. And I just, and I just went up and I just said, oh, well, actually, guys, I, I, this one said blah, 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 blah. And they just sort of went... And they just stopped talking. And, and I'm sure they thought I was a spiritual giant. You know what I mean? I mean, all I've done is put my finger down, say, give me something, Lord, that'll do. And off I went. So, but the funny thing is, and the little principle there, if we commit our ways to the Lord, we're given something to work with. You know, and I, and I can't take any glory in that stuff. It's just the way I walked with God. But the Holy Spirit did things. So the Spirit will use the Word of God to speak to us, to challenge us, to teach us, to support us, to comfort us, to guide us, and I guess a lot more. And it's a primary source of walking in the Spirit. Because the Lord will speak to us through His Spirit, through His Word. And when you think the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, it's good practice. When the Word of God, if you think it said something, use the Word of God to the first stage to check it out. And again, going around with people with heresies and stuff, people come out with all different types of prophecies these days. Get on YouTube, you'll find a million prophets, I'm sure. But check them against the Word of God, and you think, hold on a minute, oh, that, that contradicts this part of the Bible. That contradicts that. So that's the first stop for checking out any word from the Spirit. A second one is to go to a mature Christian, or someone you believe is a mature Christian, and commit it and lay it before them to see what they think about the word you might have received. You know, we're living in a great time of falling away of churches accepting sin and flesh as being godly. And even we've been told that at the end times, that even the very elect 
could be deceived. We need the Holy Spirit every day. And we need the Holy Spirit to keep us from being deceived. I don't know about you. I mean, I've walked with the Lord a number of years now, but I still pray most days, Lord, don't let me be deceived. Lord, I'm, I'm me. I can be deceived like anybody else, Lord. Please don't let me be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. So Paul the Apostle teaches us, it's not about our eloquence. It's not about our own strength. It's not about human wisdom. Our faith is to rest on the power of God. He will reveal the deep things to us without limit. The Holy Spirit reveals the thoughts of God. The Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak when we need them. Because we can have the mind of Christ. However, we can choose to walk in the flesh or we can choose to walk in the Spirit. We should not be surprised that the Holy Spirit wants us to walk and guide with him. You know, in the first verse of the Bible, in Genesis, we read that the Spirit of God is there. And in the last book of the Bible, the Spirit and the bride say, come. I've met Christians who think the Holy Spirit's not working these days. Christians who think the Holy Spirit was for back then, where then was. But you know, He's worked right from the first book of the Bible and he's working right through to the last book of the Bible. The Holy Spirit is still working. We need to walk in the Spirit. Zechariah 4.6 So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So let's practice walking in the Spirit. And today, afresh, yielding our lives to God, remembering to exercise faith in what the Lord reveals, and let our lives be a living sacrifice. A main point, just before I finish, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived that which God has prepared for those that love him. For those that love him for those that love him. That's who he's going to reveal things to, for those that love him. So let our lives be a living sacrifice because that is our true worship. Father God, I just thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we somehow in that great mystery, we, we did turn back to you, and give our lives to you, that you allowed us to be born again. And you didn't say, well, well, guys, you're not quite clean enough yet. I really can't give you my Holy Spirit yet. Or if you did a bit more, some better good works or something, I could give you my Holy Spirit then. But no, Father, you took us right there and then. You sealed us with your Holy Spirit. And you begun a work that you're going to complete. So, Father, I just ask that you give us wisdom and guidance and ears to hear you and eyes to see you in the days, weeks, years ahead, that, Father, you might receive glory, that, that Jesus will be lifted up, and that people will be drawn to him through seeing the way we live for you. And that's that, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We're going to have uh, communion tonight, and uh, I wasn't going to do this. I was just asked to do this um, just before I got here. Just when I got here, sorry, not before.
Um, but the thing that comes to mind for me is that of all the things in my Christian walk, probably the, the most significant times of, of change in my life have come at communion. Because I'm sure it's the same for you guys, but I'm just going to say what's on my heart. When I come to communion, I have to be 100% honest with God. If I know he's speaking to me about a sin in my life, he's not saying get it cleaned up before you try. What he's saying is confess it. Confess that to me. Just come to me, open. I'm receiving you, but don't try and hide things. Don't come, you know, saying, well, I'm fine, I don't really need this or whatever. But just have an open heart, open mind to the Lord. And I've found communion through the confession and through the receiving. It's been a, a time of great, great um, healing for me and of, of Lord ministering to me on, on levels I don't understand. I, I, I've just got a story. I think of a, a friend of mine who used to tell me her father was a dentist and he used to have a, a, like a crucible on, cha on chains, a little bowl. And he used to put his gold in there. And he put the gold in and he would spin it around. And then he'd stop it and then there'd be dirt on top. And he, she'd say, he cleaned the dirt off the gold. This is gold for teeth, you know. And then he'd spin it around again and he'd get, clean some more dirt off the gold. And uh, for me, that's been a bit like communion that the Lord starts refining me. So I just mentioned that. I think it's a, uh, when we surrender our lives to God, I, I think this is a great reminder of why we need to surrender our lives to God and why we should surrender our lives to God. And he, he will meet with us. So I just want to read from Corinthians chapter, is it 12? It's a brief verse. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For, when you, for whenever you eat and Eat this bread and drink from this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So let's just take a few moments just examine ourselves quietly before the Lord and then I'll, I'll tell you when to come forward and receive. <laughs>